Hello everyone and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild Anime, Manga, and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, MC. It's great to have you all back. So, uh, a lot of things have happened here. Very unfortunate for me. Uh, I have lost, as a result of the Discord program I was using to record everything, at least three or four episodes. Uh, I, it's hard to keep track of them all. It's just very, very frustrating. So, we are trying something new now. Uh, I was gifted a program by John that he has used in the past for recording a lot of stuff. So uh, I'll be testing this out. It's been working for him for years, so maybe it'll work for me. I'm still figuring it out. John has been incredibly patient with me as, you know, someone who is very uh, technologically illiterate when it doesn't, you know, come to, like, searching something on the web. <laughs> so thanks to him for that. A hashtag blame John. And uh, let's see. That should be it for about housekeeping so let's move on to the podcast uh introductions and what have i been watching since last we spoke well i'm sure you're gonna miss a lot of what i was talking about so i am i am in the ultraman cosmos series right now and i can't remember if that episode where i started it uh when i mentioned it on the podcast is one of those where it uh just um that's the word I'm looking for. I, I first started discussing it. Uh, is alive anymore? So I'll just say I am really enjoying Cosmos. Uh, the idea of a uh, what's the word? Technical pacifist Ultraman really connects with me. Uh, I really like love. I should say how you know, given the option, he's not a suicidal pacifist in the sense of well, I'm never gonna br take up arms ever, but like violence is always a last resort. And, you know, that's definitely something uh, I had read that the director of the program had uh, wanted to do this as an idea to uh, for the children of Japan to have, you know, a hero who didn't ultimately just, you know, just fight for the sake of fighting. But like there was a purpose behind it, but he was also gentle and kind. So I, I really love what they're doing with this new series. Well, new as in, what was it, 2002 or whatever it was when Cosmos came out. So that's been a fun ride. Uh, I have also, not outside of seasonal anime, that I don't really want to get too much into. I haven't watched anything new. Other, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not. Uh, and if I did, it's probably gone now. <laughs> but I did, for the sake of trying something new, way outside my comfort zone, I did try uh, the first two seasons of Love Live, which, if you don't know, is about an idol group. And I am not a big fan of idol culture. I especially don't like how they are treated in Japan as a commodity rather than as people. So it's one of those things, like, ethically, like, I had a hard time with the idea of promoting it. But it was a fun, cutesy little series, so I, I get why people enjoy it. It's just not made for people like me. So, I mean, if you're looking for something, you know, cute girls doing cute things, it's not a bad series for that. Uh, other than that, not really too much anime that I have watched recently. I did. Oh, as far as movies go, I watched two very different movies that are kind of spiritual antitheses to each other. And I kind of want to discuss that for a little bit before we go any further. It's, I watched John Wick for the first time ever. 
and I watched Pig. <laughs> so I I know those two are. You're gonna go. What? Th- those are very different movies, and absolutely they are. And I'm I'm glad they're both revenge tales. But one is, in a more subtle way, the other is your more typical action. Well, revenge. I'm gonna kill everyone who did these terrible things. So. John Wick was very, very good. I have nothing but high praises for it. Uh, let's see. It's what, what am I going to say? I mean, it's what, what? What more do you want? It's a revenge story. Like, oh no, I've lost everything, and you people took this much what I the little I had. So I'm a gun you all down. And I love what John Wick does. Is that it does world building right. The whole idea of the Continental serving as like this hub for assassins was ingenious, and I really loved the way uh, there's a there's a twist near the end where a certain character seems to uh, want to kill John Wick, but has actually been on their side the whole time. And I would, yeah, I didn't really catch me by surprise because there was one scene where it's kind of fairly obvious he missed a shot on purpose. So it was very easy from there to figure, oh, okay, he's just acting like he wants to kill him. So I really like that. Uh, but then we go on to Pig. And for those who don't know, Pig, in uh, contrast to Keanu Reeves, is done by <laughs> Mr. Nicholas Cage, uh, our one true god. <laughs> who, you know, unfortunately, as a result of his life, has, you know, needed to take almost every single script that comes his way for the money uh, he, the man went through a very bad divorce and that took a lot from him and he used to be a very frivolous spender so he has taken a lot of scripts that people go well why would you ever do that well for the money obviously and I'm so glad he does because uh, let's see like Color Out of Space was one I would definitely recommend as well I watched that forever ago well uh, forever goes on like a year ago when it came out <laughs> but Pig was something I never would have watched without him acting in it. And like it's such a spiritual antithesis to a film like John Wick, where you would think, oh no, these people have stolen my pig. <laughs> he has a truffle pig that's like his only companion. He just lives out in the wood. And you would think, oh, well, he's going to grab a bunch of guns and then you know kill the people and get revenge until he finds this pig. But the actual story is him, like, going up to people, talking through everything with them. Like, there's very little violence used by him. And it blew me away. I was expecting this to be like a 5 out of 10, you know, whatever film. And it easily shot up to an 8.5 to me with how it handled, you know, dealing with loss, dealing with, you know, thoughts of revenge and vengeance. And how that actually should play out in the world versus, you know, it's cool to have John Wick mow down like, you know, a hundred dudes in the middle of a movie for the sake of revenge. But like, practically and morally, not exactly how we should be handling those thoughts. So I would definitely say I recommend both Pig and John Wick for very different reasons. So head out to those. So I babbled on enough about what I've watched. Let's move on to our comics. So we we have uh, we have three comics and two manhwa because yep last week's solo leveling was off. So it'll be 
in the Amazing Spider-Man 80. This is written by Cody Ziegler, drawn by Ivan Fiorelli, Carlos Gomez, Paco Medina, Rachel Rosenberg, and Joe Caramagna. So, uh, a couple issues ago, Aunt May had uh, talked to someone off screen asking for their help. I was right, it was Dr. Octopus. Makes perfect sense with their history. And we're definitely going to go through that history in this one. So in the last issue, uh, issue 80, uh, Ben managed to get away from Craven. There was more shenanigans with the Beyond Corporation, who, oh no, could they be evil? Who knows? Let's read. So this is May narrating. She's at the hospital bed with Peter. And she's saying, uh, when you've taken as many spins around the sun as I have, things almost seem to begin a rhythm. It's like a cycle. Just as sure as the sun will rise, my nephew Peter Parker will get him, gets himself into trouble. A broken bone here, a bruise there. Wherever he goes, trouble just loves to follow. But this time it's different. It feels so different, Peter. I just need you to understand that's why I'm doing this. You got caught up in something so bad these doctors are flying as blind as I am. But I'm going to fix that, because I'm Aunt May, and fixing things is what I do. But I need something from you first. I need you to forgive me. I've been backed into a heck of a corner, and it's looking like I'll have to take things into my own hands with a little help from an old friend. And it's seen transitions to Dr. Octopus, uh, Octavius, leaning down to kiss Aunt May's hand. He says, you humble me with your beauty as usual, May. Otto Octavius, nice to see you still keep a gentleman's airs about you. Although the sunglasses at night is certainly a choice. When in the presence of someone as radiant as the sun, I thought it best to protect my eyes. <laughs> Which does remind me, It'll never shine as brightly as you, but perhaps its dullness will be a nice accent. And he hands her a uh, kind of uh, looks like a brooch. And she tells him it's beautiful, and they need to get to it. And they are on the campus of ESU to after the uh, a fight that broke up between the UFOs and Peter and Ben as Spider-Men, where Peter got taken down due to the radiation. So they're trying to get samples from that. They move over after examining everything, which you think there would have been multiple teens by this point examining stuff. I mean, unless they're just being lazy. But who knows. So they move over to one of Otto's safe houses, which is apparently 32B. Which makes sense. Uh, a man like Otto, he's going to have a lot of safe houses around. He tells her to make herself at home and offers her something to drink. And they flirt with each other, which is kind of like... Uh, disturbing and cute at the same time, considering their history. For those who don't know, uh, what was it? Spider Amazing Spider-Man 138? Or maybe before then? Uh, before this, he had become a tenant for Aunt May uh, in like the early no, mid mid uh, above 50 Spider-Men. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've read through those. And, you know, she was quite charmed with him. And later on, he learned that she was going to be, uh, wh what was it? She was in a will getting an island in Canada, I think, from like a friend or a relative or something. And all these nuclear reactors were in there. So he was going to marry her so he would have access to that. <laughs> Typical comics soap opera fashion. And obviously, you know, Spider-Man intervened. The wedding was called off. But they still, over the years, kind of maintained this friendliness with each other. Like, 
a little more than friends sometimes. So we see Ak is uh, suiting up, and he's telling her, that's a scanner. A scanner is a completely different ball game, my dear. She says, right. Well, we have our first lead. I think it's time we crack this thing wide open. I hope you still remember how to use that suit. Worry not. I'm still quite dexterous. And they head out to an apartment building asking for help to see if yeah, they've tracked some of the radiation there as well. And Otto is not having any of the landlord's business, but May speaks up and says, I must apologize for my husband. They're, they're pretending at this moment. He has been very poorly trained. We wouldn't be long. 50 minutes tops. What do you say? And Lenwood says, wow, you remind me of my mom. Fine, I'll buzz you up. And they go up to the room where some of the UFOs had stayed. He says, you know, like I said, four weirdos, weirdos were the previous renters, but I think they ran into some trouble with the law. Not as it's four. Did you get a name? Simon. I made a Simon Says joke, and he didn't think it was funny at all. You say, okay. Yeah, whatever, man. Of course. Radiation, poison gas, Simon. It must have been the UFOs. Listen closely, young Eric. When did the police... Wasn't no police. Was a thing called Infinite Solutions. Took them and cleaned the place better than ever. Anyway, they did it pro boner. Uh, classic. Like when you do free stuff, or whatever. It's pro bono, you caveman. <laughs> And Aunt May speaks up. It's like, look at this carpet. Uh, he uses a scanner on it. And they find it's a byproduct of x-rays, leftover radiation. So they use a configure so that they can. Oh, gosh, this scene. Uh, they get really close and intimate and creep out the landlord. And so they manage to uh, scan the device and leave. And as they're doing so, Aunt May asks, so what is Infinite Solutions? And Otto's looking at his phone says, It would seem that they are also charged with holding superpowered individuals awaiting trial or transfer to prison. Though only a fool would think that the truth. You make quite a partner, Otto. It makes me miss the old days. We're here. It's a gulps. This game of cat and mouse has eaten away at enough of our night. We will collect the information we need to help Peter. He says, Okay, Otto. But I'm still going to do the talking on this one. We are about to cross the threshold, May. I think it wise to ready ourselves. When it comes to protecting the ones I love, I think it's these guys who should get ready. <laughs> he says, ha, I would agree. And they get inside, and they're pushed over because, you know, they're not allowed, no unscheduled visitors for anything. And Otto then uh, takes his tentacles out, grabs Aunt May with one of them, and uh, breaks inside. And they split up. He's going to be a bit more forceful about it. She doesn't want to. She wants to be a bit more tender. So obvious bit of problems there for them. Sorry, I had an issue with the mic there for a second. And they see one of the UFOs there, you know, suiting up you know, in prison attire, just uh, getting ready to pump some iron. And they are noticed by a member of the security team there. So uh, Oc tells her, you know, we have lost the element of surprise, but I would do what must be done. Take this and the guard's key card and go to Vapor's cell to collect your sample. They meet me in this, at the central security room. If I don't find you there, I will find you elsewhere. She says, central security room. Good luck, Otto. Luck is like a ghost to a scientist, May, but I appreciate the sentiment. She says, please be careful. I want to be able to thank you properly after we finish all this. If that is the case, I will not keep you long. As you know, he takes down a couple of the prisoners inside, and one of the UFOs comes to uh, attack him.
and uh, he manages to beat him back in the midst of all this, causing him to uh, blast Ox several more times, but Doc Ox not having any of it. And he tells him, mediocre, mediocre. Hard to believe such a lesser talent would think he was capable of taking on Spider-Man. What is your connection to this place? And he's saying, you know, one moment we were getting creamed by the Hulk, which happened in the Mortal Hulk. Hulk. Hulk, not Hook. Every time. That accent getting in the way of things. Uh, I did not read Immortal Hook. <laughs> Hulk. Immortal Hulk. I hope you're as annoyed as I am about that. But I, I knew it was really critically acclaimed by everyone. I'm just not a body horror guy. I don't know if I've talked about this in a podcast before. It's not really for... It was not made for me, but I'm glad someone tried a different formula for the Hulk. So it seems like a lot of people really loved it. But this is the last time the UFOs were there. I did see them on a couple covers, so that makes sense. And Otto asked, why waste resources on you lot? Didn't ask, didn't care. Broke out first chance we got. Got a job quick, but involved two Spider-Men. And that was a couple too many. Now we're waiting for Transpo again. You know, I always thought Spidey was a bit of a schlub, but this other guy was like Spider-Man 2.0. That's some of the best tech I've ever seen. Superior in every way. <laughs> and that's a trigger word for Ock. He says, what would you know of superiority? He flings him up into the ceiling. He says, let this be a reminder that I stand superior above all. To think villains of such low caliber would require an intervention from Spider-Man? I find that information to be most interesting. And some of the police arrive, telling Oct to put his hands in the air. <laughs> and he says, you don't seem to have mistaken me for one as inexperienced as he. Let me do you the honor of correcting that error. error. And he manages to take them out off screen as May is approaching Vapor's cell. And, and she says, I hate to be a bother, but are you Vapor? And she says, well, I gave it away. You're a long way from the bingo hall, Grandma. Well, they usually close up shop around 7. I'm the only old bat with enough energy to still hang past sundown. <laughs> I must like, I like you, lady. You must be one tough bird if you manage to slip this deep past security. That also must mean you want something. Yeah, that's about the size of it, Vapor. Call me Anne. Okay, Anne. I have a favor to ask. I need something from you. Oh, what kind of something? And she shows her a picture of Peter. Says, this is my nephew, Peter. He drives me absolutely crazy sometimes. But I love him more than the world. He's really all I have. He is, was, a student at Empire University. And a couple of weeks back, he got roughed up pretty bad in the big fight you, you and your friends had with Spider-Man. Well, I'm sorry about your nephew, lady. But I'm a bad guy, remember? Comes with a job. Well, I don't think you're a bad person, Anne. Deep down, I think you've ma just made mistakes. Lord knows I have. But I want you to know, real people get caught in the crossfire of those mistakes, and Peter was one of them. I'm just here to help him. You see, Peter's doctors can't figure out what's wrong with him. They use a bunch of big words that I'll end up, end up meaning we don't have the information to help. But you do. I recently spent a few nights in the ER, courtesy of the Angriest Avenger. So I can relate, sort of. Not sure I have the info to help, though. And may use her key card to get inside a vapor cell. She says, you do. Inside. I need a sample of you. Something I can give to the doctors so they can make a cure. Give me that and I can be on my way. No muss, no fuss. Yeah, you're something else, Grandma. Love it. Yeah, I think I can help. Not like I got anything going on. And May takes a little sample. It does absolutely nothing. And she says, thank you, Anne. Truly, I cannot express how much this means to me. I just want you to know that. And says, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Just don't go telling anybody. I can't have folks thinking the UFO's got soft. 
I'll tell him you fought like hell, sweetie, as Aunt May leaves her behind to find Ak in the midst of attacking every member of the prison. And he's looking through the files, says, you know, let's follow the trail, this trail. One shell company to another, to another to... No. You called me a murderer, but I am something much worse. Do you know who you're working for? What they stole from me? Do you know why I'm about to skin you alive? And Aunt May goes, let that man go, Otto. This wasn't part of our plan. You promised me. You promised. Let these men go. And having shamed them, he says, forgive me, May, but I told you this is the man I've always been. My nature. I was doing what I must to help you. She says, you stopped helping the moment you found something on that computer. Well, I can explain. There's information. Plans have entangled me in. There's always a plan or a scheme, some plot, whatever you can use to justify going on the warpath. So but I'm telling you, no more. You can have your Omnicenter back. I want no more part in this. I'll find another way to help Peter. I was a fool to think you could change, Otto, and an even bigger fool for trying to convince myself that I didn't know from the start. Once again, my dear, you are right. I'm a creature of habit and simple design. Perhaps it is my nature. For me, the ends justify the means. May, I was given a power, and I believe it is my duty to use it. Then you have used that power irresponsibly. Goodbye, Otto. I won't be seeing you again. And she's given him the sample, just like giving up everything. It's like she can't go through with this, you know, if this is how he's handled it. But she gets a phone call from one of the doctors and saying, uh, uh, and she says, using a phone call to tell me you've made no progress isn't going to stop me from coming in. But he says, quite the opposite. There's been a breakthrough. Some anonymous delivery was was made containing, well, a rather comprehensive cachet of data detailing the compounds involved in Peter's illness. Long story short, we started a treatment plan. Why don't you come down and see for yourself? And she leaves to go to the hospital, as she's thinking in narration, I don't I hate that you doing the right thing still makes me mad. And she goes to the doctor and says, Dr. Burdick, I want you to tell us tell you something. Thank you and your team for helping Peter. And she continuing in narration says, you've walked through this door a hundred times. You're strong, mate. There's nothing you can see on the other side that can shock you. She says, Peter, as Peter has gotten out of his bed and he, he quips, says, hey, I made you get the number of the bus that hit me. <laughs> he gets up and hugs her and she says, you crazy boy, you had us worried half to death. I'm so glad you're back. We're also happy. I love you. I love you too, May. One thing, could you ease up a little bit? This hug gets any tighter, and I'm going right back into that coma. <laughs> so uh, we flash over to another scene where Ak is confronting uh, a bunch of goons, uh, one of whom gives him a uh, access card. He says, to thank your master, so we tried to elude my notice by creating a shell company called Infinite Solutions. Hubris, did you know you work for the Beyond Corporation? At your other side, I got a taste of your employers' gluttonous ambitions. If left unchecked, they will devour all that lays before them. But what will I find with this new access? He says, No, Spider-Man and Parker could not have been that stupid. They allowed Beyond to purchase the remains of Parker Industries, the company I built? Your Spider-Man isn't superior. He is a copy of the work I did. And Otto Octavius doesn't stand for plagiarism. I will remind them that it is I who will always remain the superior. As I believe, is he looking at a the Baxter building? No, the Beyond building. And that is the end of 80.buh.
So, as far as this is concerned, I really love the team-up between Aunt May and Dr. Octopus. You know, given their past history, it makes a lot of sense for May to go to him for help. I'm forgetting... I shouldn't... I don't know... No. Was it part of the deal? Okay. This is going to be complicated. So Otto had cloned himself into this body then made himself a new one went out to San Francisco I think and became the superior Spider-Man there again and was doing fine until the series got cancelled so they decided well you know who really you know is the greatest villain of Spider-Man Mephisto <laughs> let's just have Otto make a deal with him to lose his memories and stuff and that way he'll become evil again instead of the hero, which is progressive and great for his character to have learned after trying to become the superior Spider-Man once that he needs to be a different kind of Spider-Man. He can actually be good, but you know what? Whatever. Mephisto it up. That'll solve everything, just like it did for Spider-Man's marriage, which I'm still not over. I'd say all those things because I was going to ask, like, well, does he not remember who Peter is? And I think that was a part of the deal he made was losing access to that information. I think he actually brought it up too in Sinister War. Uh, that was near the end of Spencer's run that he didn't know anymore. I think that makes sense. So that that's very good. I, I love, like I said, I love Ock. He's one of the greatest Spider-Man villains of all time. Uh, for me, he's second behind the Green Goblin. So if they're going to destroy his character again, and make him a villain. This is the good way to go about it. So I do believe that's about all there. I have to say. Uh, about Spider-Man. So we'll move on to the first issue of Devil's Reign. Now this one. Has been a long time in the making. From Zdarsky. And how you know. He and Daredevil have. He and Kingpin and the Daredevil have been fighting one another. But this is issue one. This is written by Chip Zdarsky. It is drawn by Marco Chiquetto, Marcos Menez, and Clayton Coles. So, uh, I think in one of the episodes we lost, uh, Daredevil had congratulated Fisk on his upcoming marriage to Typhoid Mary, and then went away, which made Fisk angry, because he can't have Daredevil wish him happiness, because he's tried to ruin Daredevil and he's still kicking. So we went to go find Daredevil's identity, but the picture he had, uh, the, excuse me, the piece of paper he had no longer has access to the information. So he's very upset. And we're going to start uh, with the Strom ones. The Strom ones have been kind of like the financial backers of a lot of um, the various villains in this, in the Daredevil, blah, Daredevil series. My gosh, that lisp is killing it. Daredevil series. And I'm fairly certain Zdarsky came up with them. If he, if they exist from something else, I have completely forgotten them, or maybe I never read it. So it's them discussing what they're going to do next, uh, and how you know Fisk time has been fun, but you know could something new happen? So we're going to start. Uh, Daredevil is patrolling the city, and we get narration from the from the Kingpin saying, "How did it begin? My hatred of this man." There are so many things to hate, really. His piousness, his outdated sense of morality. But the thing I always come back to. 
is his hypocrisy. He looks down on our baser natures as a, as a grins and a fistfight. He puts on airs of a saint tasked with succumbing to violence. And Daredevil says, Fisk, according to the office street in Hell's Kitchen, you clearly wanted my attention. Shouldn't you be at home? But he's truly the devil. And Daredevil continues with your new bride. And Fisk throws the documents out there. Daredevil says, I don't have time for whatever this is. And I didn't bring my reading glasses. <laughs> it's a funny joke because he's blind. <laughs> and Fisk says, then I'll tell you what that is, Daredevil. It's nothing. But it should be something. It's a folder for my private safe, which I dimly remember putting together, remember maintaining, labeled Daredevil's Identity. And the pages inside are either blank or meaningless, like a sick joke, like someone switched them out from my most secure and secret place. Except they didn't, did they? I can feel it. You. You did something to my mind. Who are you? Daredevil says, sorry, Wilson, but it's called a secret identity. The narration continues. You are the devil, and I'll tear everything down to destroy you, because nobody knows you like I do. Nobody else knows your true Achilles heel, your guilt. So Fisk has, uh, since he is the mayor, is giving a presentation to the crowd, uh, giving a big speech, how, you know, superheroes have gone on for too long, and he's not happy with vigilantism. And he then says he's making a new law because that's how law works. Uh, the American just say this is a law now, and no more superheroing without a license. So civil war all over again. But we're calling it Devil's Reign now. Uh, we're getting a news commentator talking about it. Uh, Tony Stark is being interviewed. Says you know we've been down this road before. Superheroes serve a purpose and have saved not only New Yorkers but the world many times over. This is a desperate move from a gangster mayor in an election year. We see Thunderbolt Ross uh, making Thunderbolt units who are specialized officers for handling superhuman threats. Get some more people on the street. We're like, you know, it's not fair that Daredevil got away with murder, essentially, just because he's a vigilante. And a Storm is being interviewed, uh, presumably from Mars. Or maybe it's Krakoa proper. And she says, Krakoa has no interest in human laws. All mutants have diplomatic immunity, as per our international agreement. So it would be in the mayor's best interest to leave us be. We see Moon Knight is uh, going to be one of the first persons they are arrested. He's being attacked by uh, the female Electro, the Rhino, uh, U.S. agent, and I had to look this up. This is Agony, who I think is another symbiote spawned off of Carnage. She only showed up recently, so I know next to nothing about her. I didn't read the Extreme Carnage stuff. So, Moon Knight... Uh, fights as best he can against them, but we'll see he gets captured later on. We then flash over to Miles, and I completely forgot. I hate Miles' new costume so much. And I'm glad I'm not the only one. But when I first saw him here, I was like, who is this guy? Is this Kane? <laughs> it's like, no, no, this is Miles. Uh, nobody cares about Kane right now. Poor guy. He's trying. Poor Scarlet Spider. So he's rescuing a young girl from a uh, fire, uh, helping with the firefighters there. He's telling, they're telling him he's a godsend. But then one of the Thunderbolt units comes and uh, attacks Miles, uh, shocking him with one of their batons. But Captain America, who was also assisting Miles there, appears and says, step away from the young man now. And one of the Thunderbolt's officers says, you're under arrest too, Captain, in accordance with the Powers Act. 
I know you're just doing your job, but he just saved lives. He's a criminal. You're all criminals. If a law needs to be broken in order to save lives, I'll do it every time. You may as well arrest us for breaking and entering this burning building instead of using powers. And they're about to unmask Miles. But before they can do that, Captain America throws his mighty shield, and all those who oppose the shield must yield. <laughs> he says, Spider-Man, you up for this? This is the cuffs are blocking my powers. And then off screen, it's a good thing we're here. As the Ben Riley, Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Elektra have come, they take down the Thunderbolts units. And they uh, go and retreat using the sewers. And Daredevil says, 100 meters straight ahead, first left, there's a room to the right to a, there's a door to the right to a utility room. We can lay low there unless I pick up any activity. And Ben says, on it. Man, it's crazy out there. I knew Fisk as mayor was going to be bad, but this, this is wild. What set him off? And Daredevil says, I, I did. This is my fault. And Electra says, it's not, don't be a fool. Miles asks, how? What happened? My identity, like yours, is a secret. But it wasn't always like that. The world knew who I was, and and even though I didn't ask them to, Zebediah Kilgrave's children made the world forget. And Ben says, wait, Zebediah? The purple man? You mean his kids can mind control people too? And Daredevil says, they can, and Fisk knows something is wrong with his mind. And that it's my fault. I I taunted him when he confronted me. I could just tell him who I am and may, maybe this will all stop. But Captain America speaks up and says, it won't. We knew with Fisk and power something like this could happen. It's not your fault, Daredevil. And you sacrificing yourself on his altar won't change a thing. He hasn't pushed this law through for the good of, his, of the city. It's his vendetta. He's risking the lives of the people we've sworn to protect. I wouldn't dare speak for the rest of you. But I won't let a tyrant stop me from saving lives. Don't give in to him, Daredevil. Not now, not ever, because once you do, he'll take it all. So we flash over to the Baxter building uh, where Sue Storm and Reed Richards, well, excuse me, Sue Richards and Reed Richards, they're married for years, Christian. Uh, Homeland Security is there to confiscate everything that they have, even though Reed has a deal with the government, but... Before they can do anything, uh, Dr. Octopus appears, uh, agreeing to work for Fisk, and he has clamped these uh, power dampers on them. It's a necessity for those as, such as yourselves, who are prone to lashing out. And Reed says, Octavius, so you've thrown in with Fisk? Never took you for a subordinate, Otto. To my own end, Richards. I recently received some very interesting information on what you have cooking in that lab of yours. The government was happy to look the other way for your arrangement. But now that I've shown them what you have, well, they have no choice. So you're all coming with me. And Sue fights off one of the guys, says, like hell we are. And she sounds an alarm. It says, you know, Codex 7, Codex 7, hurry. As we see the Human Torch, Franklin Richards, Valeria Richards, and the Thing are now leaving the building as they're attacked by uh, some of the Thunderbolts units. And Thing beats them up. And he says, you're lucky I got responsibilities. I don't stick around to clobber you some more. And he grabs Valeria and Franklin and jumps out the window and says, hang on, gang. Our ride's here as uh, one of their jet, uh, excuse me, uh, not Quinjets. They use the Pogo planes. That's what they've been using, right? I can't remember. Uh, so they're going to go get Alicia and uh, the kids they adopted. As we then flash over to Luke Cage 
and uh, Jessica Jones. Are they married? I don't know if they've actually tied the knot. I want to, maybe they did. I can't remember. And uh, their daughter, Danielle, or Danny. And they see that Moon Knight has been arrested. And there's a bus that's careening off the road in a way that's going to cause harm. So Luke goes in there and stops it. And Jessica helps get some of the people out of the cars. But we see, hey, thanks for the assist. But the Thunderbolts got it under control. Now do me another favor. It seems the Shocker has caught uh, Darkhawk. Which Darkhawk this is? They just made a new Darkhawk. Which I tried reading that, but I wasn't really into it. Uh, Shocker continues and put these on. He throws them to Luke Cage, who breaks them. And, you know, his typical Luke fa Cage fashion you know, tells him to go screw himself. So Shocker attacks him. Uh, Jessica tries to defend them. Says, what the hell are you doing? People are getting hurt. Shocker says, then go call the cops. <laughs> oh, wait, I am the... As he is uh, taken down uh, by Luke Cage... And Luke tells him, you know, you've got a badge now, Shocker. Congrats. You just graduated from trash to official trash and beats him up. There's a bunch of people taking pictures of them. And noticing this, Luke takes the initiative and says, this isn't right. Wilson Fisk is a gangster and a fool. A big man who's small, who needs to show his power over me, my friends, and you. This isn't just about superheroes. It's about a man with his grip on all of us. He makes it sound like if he loosens it, you'll just get in trouble. This The kind of trouble that shows him that it's actually you who has the power. Look, I'm not Captain America. I'm not Mr. Fantastic. I'm just a New Yorker like you. And if someone's in trouble, I do what New Yorkers do. I help. If Mayor Fisk wants to stop me, he can come and try. So you see, uh, the Kingpin meets Butch, who has now become the Kingpin of Crime after killing uh, Lizzie off. Uh, I believe in the last issue of Daredevil. Uh, Butch is his illegitimate son. <laughs> they have not had the best of a relationship. They could, could, blah, both kind of know about this whole ordeal. So they can't really establish anything here. So Kingpin leaves. And Butch talks with Mike Murdoch. <laughs> if you've ever read the old Daredevil comics. Number one, they're insane. Number two, one of the things they did is... Uh, Spider-Man actually figured out who Daredevil was. <laughs> and instead of just telling him, like, hey, man, like, I know who you are. Let's work together here. He wrote him a letter that Karen Page and Foggy Nelson found and read. <laughs> so to BS his way out of the situation, he said, oh, no, 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 I'm not Daredevil. That's my twin brother, Mike Murdoch. <laughs> so he had to pretend to be his twin brother. Eventually, he pretended that twin brother died and had trained someone else to become Daredevil, so he wasn't Daredevil. But as a result of, uh, I think it was the annual for Daredevil, so like some shenanigans, Mike Murdock actually exists now and is kind of a bit more villainous. He's been working together with Butch. So as the Kingpin leaves, he says, I can't believe your dad didn't murder you, man. And Butch says, he used everything he had to bring his other son, Richard. Uh, that happened in uh, the King's Ransom part of Amazing Spider-Man, where the rose was brought back to life with the uh, the tablet, instead of Vanessa like everyone thought. I figured he'd at least leave me alive, Mike. Look, I'm still not, not cool with what you did with your predecessor. We had a rule, Butchie, no killing. But you really did it, man. Worked your way up from being the owl's flunky to the kingpin of crime. 
He says, couldn't have done it without you, Matt Murdock. Oh, that's one of the things. Mike Murdock was pretending to be Matt while he was in prison so his secret identity wasn't gone. <laughs> oh, I love comics. And Mike says, looking like my ex-DA brother definitely comes in handy sometimes. And hey, not for nothing, I don't think your absentee father is wrong. Getting rid of those powered guys will make our lives easier. Yeah, we just need to make sure Fisk wins this election. Because if he doesn't have that, he may come for his old job. Well, so far he's like you and me, pal. Running unopposed. <laughs> and Jessica's berating Luke for making a speech. But as they're about to leave their home, who should appear but Tony Stark? Uh, who says, you know, we've got to take down Fisk. And Jessica says, sure, but how? I don't know about you, but I'm not too keen on overthrowing democracy. Which means we have to do it legitimately. The old-fashioned way, with a ton of money and a candidate. I'm going to run for mayor. Which, sidebar real quick, isn't Tony primarily a, a uh, West Coast native? I know Avengers Mansion has been in New York for all this time, but I'm fairly certain he spent most of his life out there. Is I don't know the legal ramifications of this. Can you just pop into a city and say, hey, I'm going to run for mayor now? And if I went to Juneau, Alaska, after living all my life you know, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and said, well, I'm going to run for mayor now, can I do that? Let me know. <laughs> Send us a legal email. Which, I think this is a misdirect. I think Stark is going to run. But then he's going to let, he say, he's going to stay stepping down. He's going to ask for Luke Cage to become mayor. Because I don't think Tony wants that responsibility, but he wants someone he can trust in charge, and Luke would be that person. So we'll see. So uh, we get in, uh, Otto speaking to the Kingpin says, it's perfect. Richard's lab. It's everything I could have ever hoped for, Wilson. Well, I'm glad, Otto. I've upheld my part of the bargain. Now I need you to use what you've gathered there to assist me. The package has arrived. And he's looking at uh, one of the gates he has uh, that Reed Richards has built, presumably to the negative zone or out, whatever he's, the Infinity Gate or whatever it is in Fantastic Four right now that Slot's doing. And we move over to Kingpin, who has the Purple Man inside of a glass container. And he says, Zebediah, do you know what this is? It's power. He's holding a file up to him. It's a common misconception, but my ascension was never about my fists, my strength, or body. It was about knowing things, having people bring me secrets. Over the past decade, I've amassed files on anyone who mattered, friends and rivals, from those at the top to the young scrappers who dared flex. Secret identities, forbidden, forbidden trysts, cover-ups, and loved ones. And now I'm using them all, practically giving them away, because I'm in my endgame. The funny thing about your files, Abadiah, is that there's nothing to use in it to use against you. Your children want you dead. You have no loved ones. You have nothing. <laughs> Screw you, Fisk. <laughs> I don't need anyone. Everyone does what I want. Open this thing up and I'll show you. And uh, Kingpin does. It says, Puppet Man says, Now do me a favor, big boy, and kill yourself. And then Kingpin grabs him by the throat. Says, Now, now, Zebediah. You know your mind control doesn't work on me. My will is too strong. But it does work on others. Doesn't it? What a gift, as we flash over to the strong ones. So potentially, Fisk is going to use it on them. What a gift. What a squandered gift. Perhaps it's time someone more worthy possessed it as he is beating the hell out of Purple Man. It's saying, for a better world. As we see, 
Fisk for president. Wow. I gotta say. Right here. This is up and down. Uh, at this point, I'm eager to see what happens. Uh, Zadarki has run a really tight ship with everything, so he gets an event. I'm a-okay with that. And this is a good start to it. Uh, we get some necessary build-up. Uh, for those who don't know what's happening with the Daredevil world, this would be a nice introduction to that. Uh, I hate that it's Ben here. Not I like Ben, but it should be Peter. I mean, the only other person who has more history with the Kingpin is Peter compared to Daredevil. So it should be him, but I mean, that's just the unfortunate part of this. It's starting in the midst of this Beyond stuff, so that's what it is. Like I said, I don't think Tony is going to stick with being the mayor. I'm pretty sure he's going to set up Luke to become mayor in his place, which would be a fun thing for him because, you know, he's been the leader of the Avengers before, but, you know, bureaucracy does not sound like his thing, but he seems like the honest person we'd actually need in office to get something done. So, yeah, we will move on from that to Inferno, number three. And let me get to my proper notes for that one. So I don't steer you wrong. This is written by Jonathan Hickman, drawn by Arby Silva, Stefano Caselli, Valerio Shidi, and Adriano uh, De Benedetto, David Curiel, and Joe Sabino. Uh, so we start in the past with Professor X talking to uh, Cypher about making contact with uh, Krakoa to make it their land. Uh, Warlock has shown up as well, for those who don't know. Uh, Warlock and Cypher have uh, long been good friends since their new mutant days. And they're making contact with Krakoa. They're causing the resurrection of the Stepford Cuckoos. And then a month after that, uh, Cypher's talking with Magneto and Professor X. And he's built the habitat flowers that they need uh, to cause new mutants to have a place to be born. They've also created the gateway flowers for teleportation that can only be used by mutants. And I'm trying to remember if this scene with him and Beast... I'm kind of speeding through this part just to get to the meat of everything. Is this something that's happened in X-Force? Because I'm fairly certain Terra Verde gets mentioned in here. Except I'm reading X-Force, but I don't really want to talk about it. So there's that. And we get uh, two days ago with him. Uh, once again, uh, he's talking to uh, Krakoa. Uh, Cypher is. And he says, I haven't slept peacefully for a thousand years. I cannot, will not accept. Oh, no, that is uh, Moira talking. Sorry. Uh, so he has overheard her talking to Magneto and Professor X. And he is very upset about all that. So we get to the White Palace where we see the Step for Cuckoos uh, talking to Mystique and Destiny. And Mystique says, we are here to see the White Queen. Our presence was requested. Actually, you were summoned. There's a difference. Destiny asks, Raven, who are these delightful creatures? They are the Cuckoos, the five-in-one. Five mutant sisters who act as a single unit, a naturally occurring mutant circuit. The first one. Now, that's a misunderstanding of who we are. We're just one, singular. We've tasted, tasted this idea of individuality and didn't care for it. She's ready. You can go in now. As the fifth one appears, four of them are wearing white, one of them is wearing black. 
And Mystique asks, if you, you're the same, why does one of you wear black? Uh, we do rotate who wears what and uh, which sisters wear the white because it makes the idea of us more acceptable. The truth is, without that, you couldn't tell the difference because there isn't one. But as Miss Frost likes to say, shortcomings don't make someone inferior, just limited. Destiny asks, do you know who I am? Destiny, they say that you are the most powerful mutant clairvoyant who has ever lived. Yes, and do you know what I see when I look at the lot of you? Two who will find love, three who will not. One will be changed forever, severed from the five, another world. And one of you will never recover from it. That's who is which. And she says, how in the world would I know that, my dear? After all, I can't tell the difference because there isn't one. And what a baller line. Uh, Destiny has been a great addition. Uh, in only like two issues to this cast. Uh, she died, if I'm rem rem remembering correctly, in the 90s from the legacy virus. And one thing she did for Mystique was uh, she told her to go to the specific place and throw her ashes there. But then when she did, a wind picked up and hit Mystique right in the face, which is just one of those things like she knew when she was going to die and she knew this would cheer her up. I just think it's funny. It has practically nothing to do with this series that we're going on right now. But like I said, she's been a great addition. I love her sassiness. So it's them talking to Emma. And she explains about Moira McTaggart and everything that's been going on. It says, uh, yes, about that. Moira has actually been alive this entire time and working with Charles and Eric in secret. She's also a mutant. Destiny says, I have awoken in the world where everything is seemingly upside down, and what appears to be true is not. It, it's disconcerting, to say the least. How are you taking it? As expected, in stride, with no small measure of grace. Really? You thought you were their confidant, only to find out that, yet again, you were just the other woman? At some point, I think you grow tired of that. All things considered, I think I handled it well. Shall we see how you do? And she shows them everything about the other, you know, timelines they've, they've been through. And they ask, you know, where Emma stands. She says, basically, I'm on my side. So in Paris, we flash over to Moira, leaving one of her safe houses as she's confronted by members of Orcus. And uh, one of them asks, do you know the story of the mutant who flew too close to the sun? It's an old one, and it always ends the same way, with arrogance and hubris and a great fall. You thought the heavens would be yours, but those are for the gods, and you were just playing at being one. And we do know from an earlier issue that Mystique has infiltrated Orcus proper in some way uh, to cause issues there. So it makes sense for her to, uh, we'll see later on, how she's handled this. And we flash over to Magneto and Professor X, who asks, uh, Something on your mind, old friend? Magneto asks, Do you ever get tired of it? The burden of responsibility? No, of course not. Heavy is the head, Eric. You know this. Charles, I have always been at ease with hard decisions, and not once have I tried to escape consequence. I'm talking about something else. That little voice at night, the one that whispers in my ear and steals my sleep, it says, You have seen the future. Many of them. And you know this will never end. There is no victory to be found, and there will never be peace because it's us or them. And Professor X says, I don't believe that. I don't. 
Magneto says, I think that used to be true, but I'm not so sure anymore. Anymore. You know what the worst part is, old friend? What? You convinced me you were right. Well, when we win, if we win, when we win, things will be different. We will be merciful. You and I can agree on that, can't we? And if we do, what does it matter if we do? We're just two mutants out of millions. We still have control. Keep telling yourself that, Charles. You saw how Emma looked at us. She saw right through it. We always win. She knew immediately that we had sold her a lie. So we have to ask, what are... And uh, Professor X is getting psychic whiplash from Mortar being taken. Uh, Magneto notices it's an Orcus node. So on the Orcus forge, which is on the sun, we see Omega Sentinel talking to Nimrod. Who tells me that you are not from now. You hit it well, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. The tachyon decay gives you away. I have many questions, but one seems paramount. Where are you from? And she says, mutant hell. And the climb out has been long and perilous. In the future I am from, this once human host, Karima Shapandar, originally achieved full omega synthesis two years from this date. Clearly, that has changed. Why? To see you born. Early and fit for the coming wars. You're here for me. I'm here for you now. Before it's too late to prevent any of what happened. Listen to me, Nimrod. In the future that I am from, the mutants always win. Soon, the children of the vault, post-humanity, should emerge. They will appear to be dominant, a threat to supplant humanity and mutantdom alike. But fractured and warring on two fronts, they would eventually fall to Krakoa. And we see Apocalypse with... His Oraka mutant allies taking them down. It says post humanity, it was believed, had arrived too early and would have to wait its turn. You were born in the year that followed, lesser than you are now, but still a marvel of marvels, a great machine. But your emergence, the threat of you, did not go unnoticed by the mutant nation, and your maker sent you back in time to fight mutantdom in its infancy. This Nimrod, this failed you, flawed you, failed. Earth, the entire soul system, was lost to both human and machine. Mutants ruled, and all our machine hopes rested in the timeless machine gods, dominions, to save us, to take us in so we could be. But the mutants captured the celestial powers, life and death, and used the phoenix blade, the child of the sun who wielded it with vigor, destroyed titan after titan, dominion after dominion, and ended the machine future forever, except for me, Omega at the end of the line. The trickster titan... Betrayer and coward of its brother and sister machines downloaded my mind and pushed it through a black hole to infect and overwrite the me who lived in the past but had not yet awakened. I closed my eyes in mutant hell and opened them years ago here on Earth. All my days of a future past. Ah, you started Orcus. I found a human man, a successful scientist, charismatic and powerful. I took Dr. Killian Devo's eyes and replaced them with something more effective. I changed his reality. I repurposed his mind. He believes, because he has seen it, that he has lived through what I lived through and came back from the future. He believes that I saved him, and that together, he and I, human and machine, traveled back in time to change the world. And together we did all this. Orcus. He is my human whisperer, and he does his job well. And a beep, uh, alert goes off. Nimrod says, there's a change in our alert status. An incoming distress call from the node in Terra Verde. Here it is. Uh, we're under... Mutant detected. Don't know what happened. Fall back to the trans. Okay. Send help. Don't know how long we can. 
And Omega Sentinel says, knowing what you know, now know, shall we let those, these insults continue to pass? No. No, indeed. Spin up the ring. So this is huge. Uh, Omega Sentinel is not someone I know particularly well. She comes from an era of the X-Men that I didn't haven't read that much of. Uh, she's been a, a fairly, not major figure, but she's been a player in the events that Hickman's been going through in the X-Verse right now. And now we see why she's actually working with Orcus, so that's a huge reveal. I'm really looking forward to where this goes from now on. So we see Magneto and Professor X have come to try and find Moira, but they find all the Orcus members have been killed. As Mystique and Destiny have both stolen Moira. And they're telling her that there's nothing they can do to save her. Not this time. Because they can't even save themselves. As Orcus is sending a response team to attack them, including Nimrod and the Omega Sentinel. So, Hickman doesn't really miss a lot. Uh, I love the man. He's a really great writer. I've enjoyed him on his Fantastic Four run and his Avengers run and Secret Wars and this. I'm sad to see him leave, but if this is what he leaves on, man, this is great. So as far as things are going, uh, I'm pretty sure the reason we focus so much on Cypher uh, as much as we did is because he's overheard everything on the island. So he also knows about Mystique and Destiny. So he's probably going to make a play to save Moira. And like he may even tell everyone about what's going on. That way there are no more secrets. And Eric and Charles should make it out alive of the fight with Nimrod. But I wouldn't be surprised if you know maybe an arm or something was lost in the process. So we shall see. That is it for our comics discussion for tonight. I have been lisping like crazy, and I'm not going to stop. <laughs> we will move on to solo leveling for our Monroe section. Uh, solo leveling 176. That's a real easy one for me, because like the first half of it is a bunch of fighting. <laughs> so we'll uh, start in the middle, pretty much. And Sung Jibu is thinking, it takes an enormous amount of stamina just to maintain a great power. Or, or no, no, that's uh, Antares. Uh, this is my last offer. No, no, Sung Jibu said that. Oh my gosh. I'm professional, I swear. So Antares says, this is my last offer. Do you not really not intend to join me? And Sung Jimwoo says, I don't intend on cooperating with a monster. As his armor comes back around himself, Antares says, how foolish. And prepares to attack him. They clash again. Uh, sword against dagger. The Monarch of Transfiguration, the Army of Destruction, is destroying your everything. In the end, you won't be able to protect, even at this moment while we are crossing swords. Even if you are the King of the Dead, as a human, you must fear death. Do you wish for the flame that even incinerates death itself to turn you into ashes? Soon everything you are trying to protect will be nothing more than an illusion. Surely you must sense it since you have awakened the powers of Ashborn. The countless cries of suffering in this land and world. This is what a war is. This is the sound of the army of destruction ravaging humanity. Listen to their cries of suffering. Let their despair become contagious and silence everyone. 
regret your decision. And Sungjibu says, I should be the one saying that. As uh, and Terry's is stabbed from behind uh, by uh, one of his daggers, but it doesn't pierce to the army yet. And Terry says, you thought the dagger made out of a dragon's tooth could harm the king of dragons? Don't you find this amusing? A fight between a flame born within darkness and a darkness born within light. However, it seems this fight is nearing its end. Sungjibu says, that's right. I can see the end. Oh, so did you decide that resistance is futile? And he rushes him, says, that's right, the army of destruction doesn't even need to find this place, since I will raise their morale by beheading you, foolish monarch. And Sungjibu says, the sun darkens the shadows. As he summons his army to help him attack, and then Terry screams at him, says, You scoundrel! I will rip you to pieces and turn you into drake food! I will give you a miserable death for resisting against the king of dragons until the final moment! And the attack continues on and on, and they clash with one another, and he takes one of his daggers and slices at his face and says, I wonder if you can see your own death. And he flashes back to his dad as a bunch of lightning erupting all around them, and he has successfully stat, uh, sliced through Antares, and that is the end of the chapter. So, wow. Uh, very fun chapter here. A lot of intense battling. I definitely appreciated the weight I had between chapters, because it made this, even though it's still kind of dealing with some of the criticisms I've had recently, but it, the the in-between is like, yeah, I'm so ready for a solo leveling right now. This is so good. I'm enjoying it. It's almost over. Tell me how you're feeling about it, too. So we'll move on from that to Tower of God, uh, chapter 513. So after our previous chapter, uh, Bomb, Coon, and Rack. Uh, Rack finally back in his proper form for... A couple panels until he came back to the chippy form. Uh, managed to take down White. And Bomb is falling from the sky from absorbing everything. Uh, the two of them also got stuff as well. Seem to have taken some of White's energy. Uh, Coon screams out Bomb's name. And then leaps forward. He says, huh? How did I always feel this light? As he seems to have found the ability to fly, he catches Bomb in midair. Uh, levitates up. He says, geez, that was close. He was about to fall straight down. And he thinks, by the way, I'm flying now. <laughs> it's because of the power I got from White. And Rack <laughs> flies up. Says, move, Blue Turtle! And crashes into him. And says, what the hell are you doing? I almost dropped him. And Rack's thinking, what is this feeling? And it feels like I'm swimming in the boundless ocean. So freely... He says, I I'm flirting in the air! And Kuhn says, you just flew over here? <laughs> he says, even Rack is flying so easily. This means Rack and I have gotten stronger by taking power from White. Then there must be a big change for Bomb as well. Let's get down, Rack. And they fly down. And Rack rushes forward and says, Black Turtle, are you okay? Kuhn says, I think he passed out for a moment from power overload. He's still breathing, so he should be all right. Uh, that's a relief. And Arya, poor girl, poor woman, has been, like, looking at all this madness and said, is that guy really okay? 
and she notices something behind her. They react to it as well, and it seems that White is still around, as he is still levitating in the sky. It says White. That guy's back to his young self. And White says, no way. The power I've gathered until now drained away. All my power. Like sand running through the fingers. It's gone. And he starts screaming. says, this can't be true. I was on the verge of reaching the same level as father. But it's over. Just like that. And Kuhn says, looks like that guy lost it. I guess it's understandable. <laughs> and White can only just stare ahead of him as his hair starts waving. And they both go, hell, his hair? It's gotten short. He says, thank you. You made White escape to his inner self. And Rex says, are you? The other self of White Turtle? Which, uh, I'm trying to remember uh, the other personalities within White. There was there was a female in there. I was White, obviously. Was it Vicente or something like that? Am I stupid? I mean, that was like 300 chapters ago, so maybe it's not so much stupidity as it's been too long. So, enough of that. We go to everyone's favorite characters, Yama and Doom, as they're facing off with Yasracha. And he tells them, it was foolish for you to fall into the jaws of the beast, brothers. Do you think something's going to change just because you brought your foolish brother? And Doom says, hey, shut up. That's a bit harsh. He rather seems more like a burden. A burden? I'm going to kill him. And Yama says, well, let's say I'm confident to beat you even with a burden on my back. <laughs> hey, sorry about earlier. I disappointed you, didn't I? I won't let you down this time. And Yasrachi says, hasn't it only been half a day since you were let down? Don't you think you're too hasty? Well, we'll find out soon enough. Fine, let's see. But if you disappoint me again, you will really die. They stare each other down. And Dumas, uh, Yama, what's the plan? How about I attack from a distance first, and you strike when there's an opening? A plan? There's no need to have one. I'm just going to fight him. <laughs> what, you're just going to fight? Are you kidding? He got you so bad last time. Don't make it complicated. A fight is just a fight, isn't it? And he rushes at Yasracha, uh, swipes at him, misses. And Doom's thinking, his move, move is too big from the start. Did he still not learn from before? They continue slugging it out at each other. And Yasracha says, seeing you come at me with so much confidence, I thought you might have something up your sleeve. But you don't seem that different from last time. And he throws Yama down to the ground, uh, activates one of his uh, Shinsu Claws to attack him. Uh, Yama manages to brace. Doom saves him. He says, are you okay? I told you we needed a plan, moron. You were so full of confidence, but nothing changed. Yama says, let me go. I'm going to beat him out. Uh, moron, it's you who's going to get roughed up. I don't think so. I'm in my best condition now, so I'm not afraid of that guy at all. When I first fought him, my whole body was so tense. But now, that is all gone. I feel surprisingly light. Right? This is like a light sparring. Yama, I'll attack first, so look for an opening, okay? Let's have fun. Do whatever you like! Uh, he's still uncontrollable, so how on earth is this any different... As they both attack at the same time, Yasuracha, and Yama manages to grab him, and Yasuracha thinks it wasn't an attack. His move was so natural and smooth, as if Shinsu was flowing through 
That's why Yaswatcha couldn't predict it. My fist is as light as a feather. It says, got it. And that is the end of the chapter. So let's see all the big things that happen here. Everyone, uh, the main trio is getting a power up, which they very desperately need. So I'm very happy about that. I, I, a lot of people I saw were complaining about it. It's like, oh, this is so hand-fisted. It's like, you do realize these guys are not going to beat high rankers right now with their current stats. So by defeating White together as a unit and absorbing that energy for themselves, like, I am a-okay with that happening. If it means they get the boost. As far as the Yama and Doom and Yasracha stuff is, it's like, I, I don't really care. They're probably going to beat them. I mean, they are working with bombs, so that's that. Don't really know how, like, it's not that they're bad characters. It's just, when you have hundreds upon hundreds of characters, it's hard to care about everyone involved. So, I, I think, yeah, that's enough for tonight. Alright, so, with everything going on, let's finish. Uh, we are the Starving Writers Guild. Uh, you can find us at starvingwritersguild.com. We are writers helping other writers. You'll find us there, uh, our stuff there as well. We are MC Ashley, John Transylvania, and Barbara Page. All of our stuff is on Amazon as well, under those names. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, go ahead and contact us at the website. We also have a Twitter uh, the Starving Writers Guild Anime, Manga, and Comics Podcast. Needlessly long, but you know what? That's just who I am. And I do believe that's about everything. So until next time, see ya.